sweet Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like two weeks ago, we're on the Sermon on the Mount, and blessed are the poor, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are the merciful. And today, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. <sighs> May I say unequivocally, do not, let me repeat, do not take this literally. You know, the last one who took this absolutely literally was the third century theologian Origen who went up to heaven singing soprano. Don't do that. <laughs> she just got it. But I really think we do need to take this gospel seriously. Because what the Lord seems to be doing is, is, is going beyond the external laws, the things that we commit, the things that we do to the motivational source underneath it. What, what's going on underneath before we actually then act upon it? And that seems to be something that's lying at the root. Always saying the external law is not going to be taken away, not the jot or the, jot or the tittle. That was the old translation that we remember. The, the smallest part of the letter, those are the little markings in Hebrew to show you where the vowels are supposed to go. The, the, none of that's going to be changed. However, what I want you to do and what I'm insisting for you to do, and he's insisting, is that you go deep. That you go and see what is the root cause, what is the root motivation, what's deep inside of you. And, and in Mark's gospel, we, we, we hear him say, don't worry about anything coming from the outside. It cannot defile you. But what defiles us is what's coming from the inside. And something that's gotten in there very early in our life. And it's gotten in there so deep that it is keeping us from, from seeing the reality that we are called to live. The AA people call it stinking thinking. Which means that it, we, we actually believe a narrative that has been given to us from our smallest childhood. And the narrative basically is based in a lie, not based in great reality. And then we act out on that, and that's where our, our sins come. So, so Jesus is, is warning us against that. And he's saying you've you got to go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. And of course, when, you, when we read about the scribes and the Pharisees, they never broke a law. They, they did everything. You know, the washing of the jugs and the kettles. And yet Jesus goes after them mercilessly. And he says, look at, you know, you, 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 you walk about washing hands and kettles and jugs and purifying yourself. And, and yet you, you, you say, if, if I'm supposed to take care of my mother and father, I, I mark it korban, which is for God. And then I don't have to take care of my mommy and daddy. And he just goes crazy on that. What's the deeper thing? He's trying to get us to go deep. And he's going to do it as the authority figure that Jesus is, the charismatic leader that Jesus is. The scribes and the Pharisees are forever quoting the authorities. Jesus is not quoting the authorities. Why? He's the authority. And so he's saying these unequivocal things that are really strong, really, really hard to hear. He says, you, you have heard it said you shall not kill. Well, we know that is wrong. You're going to be liable to judge it. You may not kill. That's one of the commandments of, of Moses. But I say to you, now he's going to go deep. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his sister or brother is going to be liable to judgment. Anybody who says, raka, I love when I get to read that, raka, 
Raka is a, it's an Aramaic word, and I, I looked it up, and it, it, it basically means people that we see as inferior to ourselves. And that's part of that big lie. Those people. We got their number, and their number is fractions, okay? We are the good people, they are the bad people. I remember when we were in children, we used to always divide the world into two very separate categories. There were the Catholics, and then there were the publics. Huh? And you didn't want to walk on the public side of the street. But we weren't all that serious about it. Today, we seem to be incredibly serious about those people. And I think it goes way, way back to the, the earliest origins of who we are as a tribe. I, I'm beginning to believe nationalism isn't so bad. If, if we do, we will make a, a sacrifice for our fellow nationalists, but tribalism is not so good. Tribalism says that my tribe is the right tribe. The only good Indian is a dead Indian. We are the good people. They are the uncircumcised Philistines. They are different from us. I'm on the, and here's the danger. We buy the whole enchilada. We cannot distinguish between the good and the bad and the tension that the two go. So either if I'm on the red team, all of the all of the blue team is bad. If I'm on the blue team, all of the red team is not good. That's not good. As a matter of fact, I really believe that we need that tension. I think that tension keeps us honest. If we only have one wing, we're going to be flying around in circles. If we want to go somewhere, we need both wings. But as long as we keep on condemning the other, then we are going absolutely nowhere. And so Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't call them a fool. Don't paint them black and white. Every once in a while, I'll get in confession someone who literally hates the Holy Father. And I want to say to you, how do you like it in hell? And I don't say that, but I would like to because you know what? The punishment that Jesus gives for those who cannot forgive, and those who are filled with hate is hell. And I don't think Gehenna, I don't think hell happens when we die. As a matter of fact, my, my hunch is that the better part of us are going to make it. You know, they asked uh, St. Teresa of Avila during the Inquisition, do you believe in hell? Because that was a big deal. And, and, and she, 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 she gave the line, she said, oh yeah, yeah I, 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 I believe in hell. And then she whispered to her other sister, but I don't think anybody's there. But it is now, but it is now, you know, when, when, when somebody says that, they are so filled with hatred and bitterness and anger, I, I want to give the Dr. Phil line and say, how's that working for you? Because it isn't working very well. But we, we are, at that point, we have so poisoned our systems that we can't see straight. That's hell. You know, Gehenna in, in, in ancient times was the fire pit outside of the walls of Jerusalem where the, where the worm dies not and the fire is never extinguished and it it's constantly stinks and it's, it's, it's hell. It's just hell. And yet, and yet we find ourselves in hell and, 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 and for no good reason. He, he goes on to say, 
You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at lust, with lust in their heart, has already done so. All I could do when I was reading this passage was going back to about 1970, when did Jimmy Carter, 76? And he had this, this, Jimmy Carter had this wonderful, famous interview in Playboy magazine. And they said, have you ever, have you been ever unfaithful to your wife? And he says, well, I've committed it in my heart. And boy, they've just made a big ha-ha-ha over that, you know. Matter of fact, he was at, a, I was heard, he was at a, 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 a campaign rally in Iowa when he was first campaigning. And a, a rather old couple came up and, and the fellow with his, with his uh, rather homely wife was with him, and 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 and, and he said, and he, and, and he said, uh, do you look at my wife with lust? And Carter said, I can't help it. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Not a very good one. <laughs> yeah, where does it come from? Where does it come from? It gives a really tough teaching. A really, really tough teaching. And he says, uh, Moses said that you can write a writ of divorce. As a matter of fact, in Semitic cultures, all you needed to do, because the man had all the power, all the power, would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and was done. And so you had this writ of divorce, and so you can do that. And Jesus said, no, it was not like that from the beginning. And then he gives his teaching. The man shall leave his mother and father, the two shall cling, the two shall become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, nobody has ever to divide. That is one tough teaching. He makes an exception, though, in Matthew's gospel. He said, unless it is unlawful. Well, now, if you, if you fulfill all the external uh, legal ramifications, it will be lawful for the state and maybe unlawful for the church. But where is the heart? I've been doing weddings for 53 years now. I am convinced that the majority of those beautiful young people who walk up haven't a clue what they're getting into. <laughs> but they're in love. I always say falling in love is God's way of hoodwinking a couple up to the altar because if they had any idea what they were getting into, they'd never march. But they're in love. They're in love. The reality is and especially those of you who are at home and, and those who may be watching live stream, I, I, I want to say the reality is that for the vast majority of us in this room today and, and those of you who are out, divorce has touched all of our lives, all of our families, I, I, my family included. And you say, well, what, what do you do? Well, how could that teaching be so hard? And of course, the, the way the external way is to say, well, were they capable of making that decision when they walked down the aisle? Were they, did they, were they able to make that completely freely? And there's all kinds of questions at that point. You know, they we're told now that the prefrontal lobe, that's the decision-making process, does not really fully form until you are over 35 years old. So, there, so we grow into love. The, the sisters who made their, their vows when they were very young. I made my promises when I was 27 years old. I had no idea what I was getting into, but the promise kept me going. But when it doesn't work, what do you do? And here's what I really want us to hear clearly. God bless our Holy Father Francis. 
Because Francis says, sometimes when you find yourself in an impossible situation, God can make a way where there is no way. And he says, go see your confessor. And go inside that little booth where it is the internal forum between you and God and the confessor. And you pour your heart out to the Lord because if there's anything God wants us to be ultimately, ultimately is in Holy Communion. So what's keeping us? What's the thing at the, at the basis that's keeping us from being the, the daughters and sons of God that we are called to be? Well, I, I really believe it is the great mendacity. It's the great lie that tells us that we truly are the superior people, that our tribe really is the best. And we can justify and we can rationalize anything that we want to do in any way that we want to do it. And so that's the last thing Jesus says. When you start swearing these earths by heaven and by earth and by the throne, he says, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Just be, be honest. Say yes when you mean yes. And, and no when you mean no. Well, anything else is from the evil one, and all we need to do is turn on the news today and come to the realization that the evil one is having a field day with the truth. We are called to be the children of the truth, and the truth will always set us free.